Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to Revolution. Um, life marches on. Um, a lot of exciting stuff. We've got a lot of new online platforms that we're on that I've been promoting on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, and I hope folks will start following us on all their crazy platforms. Right now, that online community is what keeps this church going, so it's nice to be able to broaden even that. So we'll see what happens. Maybe one day we'll take off in Minnesota. That would be interesting. Um, but um, so last night, I you know this week I've been reading a lot. And usually when I read a lot, I get inspired uh, for my sermons. And um, this week, I I uh, was kind of struggling with what to talk about. And I got the kids, um, which is crazy. They've been cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Minnie can crawl out of her crib now. So, you know... She just shows up in the living room, which is exciting. Um, almost For first time, I almost called their mother last night to be like, I need you to talk to them and tell them to go to bed. But I didn't. Um, Minnie just turned two last week, and we had a fun birthday party at her mom's house, and that was nice. So... Anyway, um, this Friday, my divorce is final. This will be interesting. So, new life. Uh, I mean, it's weird when w- markers in your life, you know, just little markers and things. So, I'm going to try to keep myself busy next weekend. Um, but I was thinking about the church and... You know, I don't really pay attention to a lot of what the conservatives are saying. I just really don't care. Um, But being on Twitter recently, back on Twitter, I've kind of gotten back on Twitter, um, I see a lot of stuff. And it seems like a lot of my um, left brothers and sisters are obsessed with Franklin Graham right now. You know, and uh, a few other people. Most of them are keeping my dad off the list, which is nice. Um, But Franklin Graham, for some reason, seems to be a big one that everybody's obsessed with right now. And so I just kind of sat down last night and wrote down, what are we holding on to? Um, with all the hate and judgment in the church, why do we continue to go to church? Or why do we continue to, maybe we don't go to church, but we read theology or philosophy that has some sort of religious influence in it? You know, why do we continue to somehow stay connected? 
Um, for a lot of folks I know who listen online, this is their only church. You know, they don't go to church on Sundays, um, which is great. I'm glad to be here for you. Um, people used to always say, you got to get people connected to churches. You got to get people connected to communities. And um, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I want to send people into communities. Communities can be difficult, you know. And I don't want to be like, yeah, this community will be great. And then their lives are destroyed. Um, And there's a lot of churches that seem to be really great and really cool and really hip. You know, and the pastor wears cool shoes and sneakers and leather jacket and, you know, and is hip and, you know, but then all of a sudden, you know, if you're gay or lesbian or transgender, you can't be on the worship team or you can't serve or you can't even become a member of the church, you know, but they give you this preconceived notion that they're open and affirming and loving and accepting. Um, But it's just the same old crap. So what keeps us holding on to all the hate and judgment that's in the church? Why do we continue to stay part of it? Um, John Caputo wrote in his book, Hoping Against Hope, or is it hoping? Yeah, hoping against hope. Um, he said, the ugliness of the spirit of so many religious people within religion constitutes, I mean, continues as much more effective argument against religion than anything a new atheist can come up with from without. The inner rot is much more serious problem for religion than the drive-by shooting of religion attempted by its militant critics. It would be like a non-representational artist theme themselves concluding that their art has all been foolishness, given up on it, and deciding to go to law school. But you get it? The inner rot is much more a serious problem than a religious drive-by shooting of, of our critics. We have done more harm. Why are people leaving the church, you know? The answer is the church. More Christians. Um, You know, you turn on Twitter and you see all these people, I see all these Christians just fighting each other. You know? And I understand. I get it. I, I used to have a lot more fight in me. This past year has kind of beaten me down a little bit. And then Jesus and Martin Luther King and guys like that have encouraged me to be a peacemaker. Um, I think Jesus said something about being a peacemaker. I'm not sure. Um, to want to see dialogue happen with people in the church. Um, in Mark... Three twenty four. Um, I'll start at uh, three 
I'll start at 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, talking to Jesus, by the ruler of the demons, and he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property with our first trying, uh, trying to stir up sh- the, the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. But what he's saying is a kingdom divided will fall. The church has been divided for such a long time. I mean, probably even before the Reformation. But it's like, it's our thing. You know? It's one of our main things is to argue and debate. And I think there's a lot of good room for that. And I think there's a lot of necessity for that. But then there's a point where it it gets past... It gets past nice debate, and it gets ugly. And we say a lot of ugly stuff to each other. And, you know, as much as there is reasons for us, as a lot of us progressives, to not like the conservatives, the conservatives have just as much reason to not like us and not want to sit down and talk with us because of the stuff we've said. Not actually us particularly, but the stuff that has been said. And um, I think we have to learn to be graceful in our words and our answers and, um, I mean, grace is an amazing thing. And, and, And so I was thinking, why do I stick around? What keeps you here? What keeps me here? And then I wrote down here, the parts about love and grace. That's what keeps me around in the church. I really like those parts. There's a lot of parts I don't like in the Bible, a lot of things that I disagree with. But those parts about love and grace and loving your enemies and being kind to those who persecute you, for some reason, keep me coming back. Forgiving your enemies. Struggle to do that on so many levels. But that's the thing that continues to draw me into the church. Um, that's what keeps me here. I guess one of my questions is, is though, is can't we just do that without the church? You know, we... we the death of there's the death of God, but maybe there's the death of the church. You know, it's like cannibalism. I mean it's it's in a sad state. And I don't know how one would even reform at this point. Sorry, I'm looking up a 
verse and having dyslexia and trying to keep everything in. I kind of wish they would have put them in alphabetical order. Wouldn't that have been nice? <laughs> uh, come on. I can't find my favorite book in the Bible. There it is. Um, in Galatians 5, 13, it says, For you were called in freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use that your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgences, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the big one. 15 says, If however you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And what we do is we consume each other. We bite and we devour one another. Um, so why don't we give up? Kingdom divided, biting, devouring, no unity in the church at all. Why well, come back to that talk I gave earlier and what Caputo calls being haunted, you know? And so I'm haunted by grace. I'm haunted by love. And that continues to draw me back into the church again because I'm haunted. Because I can't get this spirit away from me. Um, I watch people mock the church, mock the Bible, make fun of it all the time. I watch the critics do it. And then I watch even other Christians tear each other apart. And it just seems like, sometimes it just seems like hopeless. You know, I wonder sometimes like why even people like my buddy Pete continue to work in the religious world. Why not just go out completely into philosophy and just let go of all religion? But there's this haunting that even he can't get away from. And I think he, I think he would prefer to too. Some of us just want to let go. And it would be nice. And some of us do let go. I know a lot of folks who have gotten free from the church and gotten free from God and free from Christianity and just moved on with their lives. You know? And in some ways, in some ways I'm, I'm jealous of those folks. I'm not going to lie. But what are ways that we stick around? Well, we may re, we may re, re, redefining things by learning to redefine things. Um we're able to continue to move forward, to be able to know, to separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will, in the Bible, um, to realize that there is an ultimate law that's, that trumps everything else. I wish that word was different. Um, but there's love God with all your heart, and equally as important, 
I stress equally as important is love your neighbor as yourself. Um, those are the ones that you have to kind of use. That's the lens you have to use. And when that's not meeting up to the expectations, when that's not there, um, when a scripture doesn't agree with those things, then you kind of have to just put it aside and say, okay, this, is, this isn't part of, of the main call for us. You know? People say, oh, you're just cherry-picking. Yeah, Jesus cherry-picked. If you ever listen to his sermons, he left things out. Paul cherry-picked. He would quote sermons and leave different verses out. You know, these guys cherry-picked. And so a lot of times we have to cherry-pick, but what we're trying to do is refine it like gold. Some people think that's what hell does to you. (laughs) It refines you. And for some of us, there's nothing left. I've heard sermons like that. Um, But something keeps us here. Even when God seems dead. I keep showing up. I can't believe I've continued to show up this whole year. This has been toughest year of my life. Um, I've had a lot of great people help me out and encourage me. I've also had a lot of great people that I love and care about ignore me uh, or tell me to, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and move on, which I'm not very good at responding to that type of tough love. Um, But I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, I'm using all my favorite verses. Um, I mean, I don't even really need to look it up, but I will anyway. Just to use some time here. Oh, here comes Minnie. Um... 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, it's not envious, boastful, or arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And so... I've had to learn that this love for me now has to be towards the church and has to be towards conservatives and liberals because I'm done with both of them. If I was really, truly, I would just like to be done with the church and all the infighting and all the outdoing one another and all the snarky crap. I'm just, I want to sit at the same table and have a conversation. I want to see unity in the body of Christ. I want to see us agree to disagree in some ways. I want us to find ways that we can have change. So you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And maybe one day you'll join us and the world will be as one. Um, Of course, part of that song is imagine there's no heaven above us and no hell below. 
And maybe those are things that we've become, you know, too many Christians have become so focused with is what's at the end playing the long game. And that gets in the way of loving people in the short term. And we should become focused on the short term, you know. What was that song? So heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. It's okay, sweetie, we're almost done. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Caleb, good try. Um, good effort, A for effort. Um, changing truth. It seems like an oxymoron, right? But sometimes the changing truth is a deeper understanding. I've been reading John Caputo, and I realize that John Caputo is a heretic um, because he disagrees with certain things in the Bible just flat out and says they need to change. And um, But you know what? Maybe that's what we have to be able to be willing to say. They just say, you know what, we don't agree with this. Because it's not, it's not reflective of this 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. A conditional love is not reflective of this. So when we see things that say, you know, we're going to separate this person from this person, it doesn't make sense. When you see Paul saying there's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile nor Greek nor slave, he's saying we're all one. That makes sense. But when it says these people are going to be separated over here and these people are going to be separated, and then we're talking about Jesus, okay, for a second here, that doesn't make sense in love and grace. Hell doesn't make sense if love is true. And you say, well, and I remember when I asked Carlton Pearson, who came out about not believing in hell, and he said, I said, what about Hitler? You know, everybody wants Hitler to burn in hell. And he looked at me and he said, Jay, what you're saying about God is a million times worse than what Hitler did. Because at least the people Hitler killed got to die. What you're saying God's going to do is put some people in an oven and eternally torture them forever. I can't accept that with the concept of love. So there's something that has to change. Now, I did a word study on hell and that made me believe that there's no such place as a literal hell, because Jesus would talk about southwest of Jerusalem, or he would talk about another religion's form of hell. You know, he had like three different meanings for hell. The Bible will just say hell. Um, I actually at one time was on a Larry King with two atheist people, and they're like, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody. And I'm like, well, which hell are you talking about? Southwest of Jerusalem? This, and they were just dumbfounded. And I'm like, man, you guys are scientists, you should at least study, research the Greek and Hebrew of these means of these words if you're going to go tell me that, you know, you hate God and Jesus talked about hell. I mean, they're literally thinking it's Dante's idea of hell, you know, which we've allowed to influence us. Um, I remember asking Brendan Manning, now that he's dead, I can say this. I said, do you believe in hell? And he goes, oh, yes, I believe in hell. And I believe it's empty. <laughs> You know, that was his way around it. Um, I told someone this week and that I didn't believe in hell, and they were just, like, dumbfounded and really like, really? Oh, well, you don't believe in hell. And they thought, well, I didn't believe in hell because it was a good thing for me. 
But when you're a preacher and you don't believe in hell, it's not really a good thing for you. I want you to look around at the community that we're sitting in right now and look at count the numbers. I'm not winning and influencing people because I don't believe in hell, you know. I'm not tickling ears to be like, oh, I don't think there's eternal damnation, uh, you know. Those ideas, like taking certain stands, have made me less popular. My, my foundation was in evangelical Christian churches speaking at Christian evangelical Christian music festivals. That's where my money was. Okay, that's where my financial life was. You know, the progressives have already heard all this stuff. But the fact is, is having a deeper understanding, a changing truth, a developing truth, an evolution of truth. But I want to ask you this question, and this is what I'm going to leave you with today, is... Where is this hope coming from? Because any of us who are sitting in this room right now or listening online, I'd say, you know, have some sort of hope that there's something here. We don't know what it is, but there's some sort of hope that there's something here. What is that hope? Where is that hope coming from? Is it God? Is it grace? Is it love? What keeps us coming back to this collection of books that is imperfect and has some really awful stuff in it and has some really awesome stuff in it? What keeps us coming back to say, I want to dedicate my life to this? Why, am I, why is my body covered in like verses and scriptures and pictures of Jesus? You know, I'm going to get a cross tattooed on my hand next week to celebrate my, my new life. Um, but why? That seems maybe like the last symbol I'd want to get. Maybe I'm, like Johnny Cash said, a walking contradiction, partly truth, partly fiction. Or actually, that was Chris Christopherson saying that about Johnny Cash. Um, but I want you to think about this. I'm not going to give you the answer. I don't know what the answer is. Where is the hope coming from? So there you go. Good luck with that. Um, you're welcome. I hope, uh, I hope next week to have some more good insight for you. I'm reading as much as I can, guys. I'm trying to be a good steward, but I'm, my theology's changing, so I'm having to read a bunch of new theologians who happen to have read a lot of other theologians, and I'm trying to connect the dots. So, uh, welcome to the evolution of uh, a pastor in the midst of a crisis and a theological revolution and mourning the God of my own understanding and mourning my marriage and mourning my family unit. And, uh, but you know what? I will tell you this. I have a lot of hope. And I'm trying to figure out where the hope comes from. But I know some of the hope comes from a lot of you sitting here in this room right now. 
And I appreciate that, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for all of you. And for you that listen online, I read some reviews on the Facebook account today. I mean, people said some really lovely, nice things. I, I have a new app, and that's the only reason they came up. I didn't even know where the reviews were. And so the reviews just showed up, and it was really nice to read what people had to say about our church. And um, so I'm excited about the future. I just hope we can, you know, get through this. What is, what is this? This metamorphosis of, of uh, my cocoon period. I'm in the cocoon, and maybe I'm about to be a beautiful butterfly. Um, we'll see. <laughs> or maybe I'll be a half caterpillar, half butterfly. Who knows? One-winged a one-winged caterpillar. So no deep stuff today. I don't think. No? I don't know if I challenge you or not. But um, I hope we can do that. All right, everybody. I just want to say thank you so much for coming. And um, you can support us at revolutionchurch.com or you can go on Facebook and hit the donation button there. Thanks a lot. This is Revolution Church. Thanks for listening. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. A post-Christian production.